Ah, good morning, afternoon, and evening to all, and uh, welcome to Satsang. I'm sitting in a different place today. I've invested a lot of energy into uh, making my um, my space much more comfortable than it had been. It's kind of a bit too Spartan, even for me. And so uh, I've kind of uh, decorated, put some candles around and uh, made kind of a little altar over there by the whiteboard. And uh, just made a very comfortable place to work and to write and to do this. So welcome everyone. Welcome to um, your weekly dose of, uh, of, of satsanging. You know, the subject of God and um, what it has come to mean and the effect that it's had on people's life is it's just come a lot into the forefront for me. Just a lot of people that have kind of found their way uh, towards me who have uh, had very bad experiences with um, evangelicals and Catholicism, various flavors of of Christianity, as well as flavors of Islam and and some and some and some Jewish as well, and I, I focus on that because the the Abrahamic religions um, are the most influential. They're the you know like over uh, half the world is either Jewish, Muslim, or Christianity, and most of those are Christian. Uh, largest religion in the world. So when they claim that they're being persecuted, you can kind of have a chuckle. <laughs> but the the story of God, the the idea of God, right? You know, people ask, "Does God exist?" My answer would have to be yes and no. <laughs> a, a classical non-dual uh, paradox, right? Is there somebody out there who uh, is, through their own capricious will, influencing, manipulating, causing things to happen? The answer is no, there, there, there isn't. So, somebody who was an atheist once asked me, I said, well, I'm, a, I'm an atheist too. And he says, what are you talking about? I said, well, I, I don't believe in the same God you don't believe in. I'm going all the way to no divine element at all, but even using the word divine can be quite quite misleading because it has come come to have so many different meanings within within uh, our our various cultures. Many of you have noticed that I'm I'm not shying away from using that word as much as I used to. I, I used it quite a bit. I, I did not want to uh, to use it because it was just so loaded with with um, uh, preconceived notions and ideas and some downright downright bullshit um, that I, I kind of shied away for it. But lately, I've been thinking more about reclaiming it and having more people show up in my in my world that have had very negative experiences. Uh, I thought I would just kind of address something. And this is the idea of the loving God versus the condemning God. And, and it's fascinating because you'll see this kind of duplicity, almost a schizophrenia in, 
in Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity, where there's all this talk about this loving God, and but all of the sermons are about how you're going to go to hell, how this loving God is going to basically th throw you into eternal punishment because you don't like him. <laughs> um, that God sounds more like, you know, a crazy ex-boyfriend, right? If I can't have you, nobody can, than a loving God. And it, it is completely duplicitous and, 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 a, and a bit nuts, actually. But, you know, the human mind is like that. It can hold two completely opposite positions without, without knowing it. it get really extreme where people go back and forth. Uh, almost, almost, uh, almost unprovoked. So, but you know, at one point, early, early in Christianity, before the official canon had been set down, that that took like three hundred years. There were all sorts of different views. Right? There was all sorts of different ways people re reacted to the to the teachings of this of this guy. Um, there was one group, I think Marcionites, I think it was called the Marcionites, um, uh, who actually believed that Yahweh, the, the God of the Old Testament, was a lesser God, basically a, a very violent, angry, jealous, petty God, and that Christ, Jesus, was sent from the true God, the ultimate God, to redeem everybody from the influence of Yahweh. <laughs> Interesting. That's not the final, you know, that's not the version that ended up as the official doctrine. But I, it's fascinating to know that there were all of these kinds of groups um, uh, that were uh, quite active at the time. And, you know, that most of them just kind of, kind of died out um, uh, or just got squashed and pushed, pushed aside. But when I look at the, the, the scriptures, I see, I, I see the, the, the behavior and the embodiment in the words of Christ, the ones that I'm convinced he really said, not the ones that I, I don't think he actually did say. Um, I see a very different picture of God. Now, God, as I said, it's not a being somewhere, right? It's, nor is it a mindless force you know, like an abstract principle or something. But let's be, let's be clear. When you believe in something strongly enough, you embody it, you act it out. It governs your actions and your behaviors and your thoughts. So God, as an active idea that is quite active in human culture, it's very real. Right? It is not real as a as something out there, but it's very real as a as a as a principle of of governing behavior and morality and ethics and how one lives. From in that sense, you could you can see money as as a god, the economic system as a, as a, as a god, because it is served, and yet it has no existence outside of the mind of the person that's pursuing it and the group of people who have agreed agreed on it. I don't think Christ came to, I'm using those terms loosely, came to, to redeem us from a real wrathful God. 
I think he came to show us that that wrathful God didn't exist. It was a myth. It was taken to be real. And it was, in fact, a belief that had taken root and was causing all sorts of suffering and damage to people's, people's lives. And he illustrated that, right? His idea of forgiveness, right? Inst instead of sacrifice, um, of, of mercy instead of punishment. Um, and he, fo he followed it up. So he presented a completely different view of God, which is what, of course, got uh, the, the, whole, the whole Jewish elite all pissed off at him, uh, maybe even regarded as a bit of a danger to the Romans. Uh, it's hard, hard to say, really. Historically, there's not much evidence for any of it. Um, I mean, it's, he may not even have existed. It, my only reason I think he did is simply because the things that were said by whoever this guy was were very different than, than, the, than the theology that, that a regular Jewish boy would be talking about which is why I think he actually did live. But he presented a, a completely loving, merciful, kind God. And that's what it really means to accept Christ, to accept a completely different version of God. In fact, the word repent, you know, repent, you know, change your ways, it actually means a, a deep fundamental change of thinking, a change of, of perspective, right? It isn't, a, it isn't something with a moral overhead on it. It is, it, it, is a, uh, it is a deeply penetrating, wise insight into the nature of things. That's what actual repentance is. That, that by, by your own awareness of it, it, it brings about a, a deep alchemical transformation. And that, that transformation was love, pure love. John, hundred years later, even wrote, "God is love," <laughs> which pretty much says that not an attribute of God that's sometimes not so loving, but love itself. That it was, love was a living spirit. That it was the animating principle. That it was the I am. This is what Christ was constantly re referring to. It's, it's sad to see that the theology got so twisted, first by the, the Roman Catholic Church as a tool of empire, and, and then later on by the, the, the extremists that all came to the United States <laughs> and, uh, and eventually uh, ended up with the, uh, the Southern Baptists and the, uh, the whole evangelical thing. Um, and which which partook of the same ugly, horrible, original sin of the Catholic Church, but put it on steroids. Uh, just to the just to the ultimate condemn, condemnation of just everything that was un, unlike themselves. To me, they're bla it's blasphemy. It is Antichrist. <laughs> Not the Antichrist because that's it, there's no person. Again, it's a state it's a state of mind. It's that which opposes. The, the, the notion that there is no there is no cruel punishment hanging over our heads and we don't need it. <laughs> we don't really need it. We need it when we're immature. Children need rules. but if they're, but if they're brought up to, 
to un to truly understand, behavior become becomes um, monitored and governed by a deep insight into into the nature of things. I mean, it is it, Christ put love is the fulfilling of the law. If there's love in your heart, are you going to lie to somebody? You're going to lie to somebody you love? You're going to kill somebody you love? You're going to steal? You're going to covet? You're, you're going to adulterate? You're going to make impure? Or you, are you going to keep it sacred, beautiful? So that's the the actual the actual God to not have any gods before love, and it's so simple. And don't make yourself any graven images. Well, yeah, because everything here is transient, right? Everything just here just comes comes and goes. Don't make it an image to that which isn't going to be there. But but love itself has no image, so there's no need of graven graven images. So what really happens is there's the tracing of an idea of God. The true God, and there is a God, and I can use that term in those, in those ways, the true God is the ultimate reality. That which is. <laughs> that which is not an appearance of something else. That which had no beginning and doesn't exist within time. That which is the true nature of all things. Just And the true nature of all things is manifested in all things, but separate from the manifestation, it cannot be seen. It's the ultimate reality. Like love. We see love when we see it in action. A loving deed, a loving thought, a living gesture, uh, a, 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 a loving, uh, a, a loving feeling, a loving moment, loving of work, loving of somebody, loving of family, loving of, 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 of great ideas. And yet, what's love? We we know it when we see it, but can anybody say what it is without going to some kind of manifestation? And yet, the men, they all arise. They all have that signature on it. They all show God's face, the original face. In the West, and for all of, and for all of us, and probably most people listening, um, because this idea of God as a governing being as an enforcer um, as somebody to uh, as, as somebody who's watching watching your every move to see that to make sure you stay in line or get or get hit upside the head has so deeply ingrained in us that just saying the word conjures even when we don't really believe in it anymore we're, we're we're trying to stick new wine into old wine skins right that concept of God is a fraud. It does not exist. It never did exist. The word God refers to the, the sense of being that we are all experiencing every single moment. And it is totally loving. All condemnation doesn't come from some super being. It comes from that belief in a condemning external force. And so in the most weird turn of turn of events, we end up condemning ourselves through the ignorant belief in an external force and an external God. 
God is the is life itself, the life force, the sense I am. It is it is the pure awareness. It is the pure uh, knowingness, which means that God is is the one hearing my words right now, the one looking that's seeing the screen, the point of cognition in each one of us that is called consciousness, we mistake for being a personal being. Oh, this is me. Well, yes and no. It is the, capital M, me. That consciousness itself, the pure awareness, is God. That's the real meaning of God. And it has just been completely distorted and abused and manipulated and and still is but it, it does my heart good to to have exposure to so many people that are coming out of it because this the the insanity of the evangelicals is becoming increasingly obvious especially since they've all gotten into right-wing politics and, <laughs> and all, all sorts of really crazy ass stuff so anyway, I think I will leave it at that. And uh, uh, so welcome once again to everyone. Uh, God is love. <laughs> Simple as that. And every, everything else is a lie. Everything else is the anti-Christ. Everything else is the devil. That, and the devil is what? Satan is just that which opposes. That's all it is. It's a title, the Satan. It is not a name. <laughs> Any more than Christ was a name, you know, Jesus Christ. Son of Joseph and Mary Christ. I mean, no. <laughs> it's a title. It refers to the messianic intervention within every single heart. The realization that this, that that, the sense I am is God and that you are one with it is the Christ. So on that note, maybe I'll do my Christian mystic uh, class again sometime soon. There's enough, there's, there's enough interesting interest in it. So on that note, I will sip on my tea Let's see, it's mate, green tea, and elderberry today. Oh, if I had my life to do over, I'd, I'd be an herbalist or something, or an architect, or I don't know. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> let me say hello to everyone, and uh, welcome, <clears throat> and I hope you don't mind my new setup here, it's just very comfortable, I got a little I got a little thing here, but my, my feet are stretched out. And very relaxed place to work. So hello, Rosario and Roberto, both in Madrid. My Madrid contingency is here. <clears throat> and there's Lisa, uh, my uh, business partner. Um, question from one of our students in the Facebook group. Since I was a child, I could feel people, even when I didn't want to. Um, yes, yes, it's all—it's 
going to be like that. It it doesn't it doesn't really um, consult with you, <laughs> and, and that when that kind of a sensitivity is there, it, it's it it's just there. It's it really is just like uh, you know a child prodigy playing playing some instrument, right? It 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 wasn't a matter of they wanting it or not. It it, it just kind of happened. I would seclude myself and was extremely overwhelmed what to do. Um, this is an important one. And because just kind of the way consciousness is evolving, human consciousness, not the ultimate consciousness, which does not evolve. God does, is timeless and doesn't evolve. Um, but the evolution of human thought and belief is, and we're seeing just a huge just tumultuous transformation and end end of the world kind of kind of kind of things and and again that's actually what Christ meant what will be this signs the the signs of the end of the world and your coming that is the the ultimate recognition realization so see the temple not one stone shall be set upon another that shall not be torn down it's a complete demolishing of the belief systems that have been that have been governing for millennia. So, <laughs> in this time, there's going to be more and more of a piercing of this veil. People are going to become and children and all sorts of people are going to become simply more sensitive. They're going to be, become more empathic. Um, you're gonna you're gonna be seeing more near-death experiences as that veil becomes thinner and thinner. Um, it is it is a gift for sure, and it is part of the inevitable evolution of us of the human consciousness. Um, but it it can, unless it's understood and prepared for, be very overwhelming, as you've pointed out because you don't want to feel everybody. No. So you're not going to be able to stop feeling them. Right? Um, you can push it aside. You can anesthetize yourself in different ways. You can remain secluded. But I can just, I can feel from the question that you don't really want to remain uh, secluded. You don't want to bury yourself somewhere. That you want to participate in life. And maybe even want to make use of this ability, this this sensitivity. In fact, um, when I train people as coaches and the like, I point out that it's going to be there. It's going to emerge, and it's going to get more, <laughs> more strong, because um, you can't really be a genuine healer without it. Otherwise, you'll be healing, trying to heal from. Uh, from the mind, but you know, even the, the the psychoanalysts and therapists that I that I know, it's very intuitive. Uh, they're they're just not relying on the DSM five. It's very intuitive, and and that whole field is becoming increasingly more in, intuitive. But what do I? How do I help you? What it really is is that. You, like like pretty much most of the empaths I have met, have never really learned 
how to be fully present with their own feelings with the capacity to then transform them, transmute them. The, the resistance to wanting to feel stuff from others is, is, is reciprocal to, it's proportionate to our not wanting to feel ourselves. The, the idea of, of, of another, you know, it's, think of it like this. The whole world, the everything, human consciousness is a field. It is not, it is not little consciousnesses in a bunch of different bodies. It's a bunch of bodies in one field of consciousness. And so the thoughts are, are emerging and feelings and sensations are emerging all over the place. But we're, every individual is, represents just a certain kind of perspective, but the thoughts and feelings and stuff that go through you every single day are not yours. None of them are actually, but because of the sense of identity we've developed, it has, it has kind of drawn, it's kind of glommed on as this, as this, imagine a river, right? Of just every possible thing just flowing by constantly, constantly, constantly. Everybody, it's flowing by everybody. Everybody's by the same river. But I build, I build a little, I take a pipe and I put it underground, right? And I connect it up to a river. And over here, I've got a little, I've got a little big hole that I've, that I've, that I've dug out. And then the water comes out of the river, flows into this little hole. And after a while, it's a pond. It's got fish in it and algae and frogs and toads and it's got plants and birds and and after a while, you um, you're you know you're living with your pond right and this pond is wonderful, and you've completely forgotten about the fact that the pond is only there because it's it's a tiny little thing coming out of this river of everything. Well, what happens if I just if I change the pipe or I move the pipe or do something. I can do anything with it, right? Because I have access to the whole thing. What do I do with that? If I think, oh my God, my pond, I'm gonna lose my pond. Your pond is, is temporary, it's transient, but the river keeps going, the river keeps going, the river keeps going. So, The river of feeling and the river of thought right, is only powerful when we give it, when we, when we don't see it for what it is. We give it power over us. We act, we are afraid of it. I would invite you to try something very courageous. And that's, when something like that comes up, any feeling comes up that feels overwhelming, turn towards it. Find out, is the feeling actually overwhelming? Or is there just an idea that is that makes me afraid of it? Is it my fear of it that's overwhelming or the feeling itself? Because they're not the same. And if it turns out to be just the fear and the feeling isn't overwhelming, then I can let the feeling be there and the fear will disappear. And, and in that environment, you have just created a, a, the environment of, of safety, of love. 
And suddenly now these feelings become welcome. And that environment of safety all by itself is what transmutes that those feelings. If they can come up in an environment that does not suppress them, push them away, ignore them, run away, be afraid of them, it, it will transform into its true nature. It will fulfill its true destiny and then dissolve back back into the field that it that emerged it emerged out of. This is the requirement for everybody who is is on the path, especially if you're on the path of a healer. You, you must learn how to 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 allow those feet to create the inner space of safety. And if I've taken any of my classes, that's that is the emphasis in all of them, especially the coach training, creating the safe space. If you do, the energy will do the rest. You don't need to do it. You don't need any special, you know, incantations or anything. Just creating the safe space, which means it's okay for me to feel whatever I happen to be feeling. And by the way, that is genuine love. That is really God. God is the safe place, <laughs> the safe space for everything to be. That is pure forgiveness, uh, finding you innocent. Because the feelings are innocent. Thoughts are, in, are, are, are innocent. But we create a relationship with them based on our, our ignorance and our conditioning and the like that creates an artificial sense of fear about them. And that is what is, is overwhelming, not the feelings. If you can see that and then put, take it into your heart and then embody it by consciously turning towards those feelings, you'll step into a completely different world and you'll find a power in the gift you've gotten. So hopefully that answers it. And maybe there's some other empaths here with us today that uh, that might be able to, might be able to help. That happened to me early on as well. Um, um, a lot of sense a lot of sensitivity and you know some of it was like overwhelmed other times I'd, I'd, I'd finish people's sentences for them I, I would even get a little bit impatient because I, I knew what they were going to say and I no no you have to just be quiet and let them speak this is before I really understood the nature of, of of energy and really did started listening better <laughs> but yes it, it is something you simply have to learn how to do it is uh, one of the skillful means that Buddha's, Buddha refers to. So thank you, uh, whoever asked that question in our group. And thank you, Lisa, for bringing it here. Uh, Robbie in Romania, Carl in Ireland, Crispin in Switzerland, Eva in Poland, Nikki, Nikki Johansson. Hi from Sweden. Hope you're doing well, GP. I am. Thank you, Nikki. Wonderful to have you. Carmona, hello to you. Hello, David and Elaine. There's Anthony in Adelaide. Adelaide, Australia. So it's, um, what are you, 17 hours ahead of us? It's already Monday morning for you. <laughs> Is it Monday morning? 
No, 17 hours would be 11. Five. Oh, God, it's the middle of the night for you. Wow. Now, that's devotion to satsang. Uh, Ella. Oh, hello, Ella. Happy Sunday to you. Me23. Namaste to you. Neutrality. Hello. Dorothy in Denmark. Daryl in, uh, in uh, you're in Virginia, right? Is that, or just the East Coast? Like, I, oh, I forget. I think you're, yeah. Anyway, there's Roseanne. Mesulam. Hello, Mesulam. Me20. Sending everyone infinite love. Hari Om G from Jay. Got on a bit late. Greetings, GP and all. Greetings, Mary. Great title for Satsang. Very much in need to help with indoctrination. Yes. Mm -hmm. Lisa, hi, repent. How about that? Change the way you think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> repent, repent, for the end is near. It's not what it means. <laughs> Daryl, Joe GP, there is no God, no ultimate authority. Are prayer, faith, and belief even necessary at all? Um, well, the ultimate authority is truth. So yes, there is an ultimate authority. There is what is, but it is the ideas of God in their cultural costume, right? <laughs> um, have all usurped that ultimate authority in an attempt to, to justify their particular cultural bias, right? So no culture, no religion, no, no practice, no government has any ultimate authority. It does not exist in any human form, in any human creation, because it is only a momentary appearance. It carries some authority to the degree that it reflects the ultimate truth. The ultimate truth, as Christ revealed it, was love. <laughs> and, and so if it reflects that love, it carries the authority of the ultimate truth. So prayer, faith, and belief. Uh, prayer can, can graduate. It can go from the supplication prayer, right? God, please help me, which is a pretty helpless state, which is completely views God as something else something out there that is more powerful than me, that I have to win their favor. And that can gradually transmute itself into an, an, an understanding of a benevolent God. That the idea of, the, of God as the great punisher or the great enforcer was a completely man-made concept, and that God actually is love. And then prayer becomes more of an affirmation. It becomes a means by which I contradict the habits of thought that um, that deny that, that say God is punishing me, that I'm no good, I'm a miserable sinner, thoughts and, and feelings. And that uh, that affirmative prayer, you see that in the, in the, um, the New Thought churches, like Unity and Science of Mind, Christian Science, and that you'll see, you'll see that kind of a, of a of a prayer going on and 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 it can take a step further because with that you, you end up kind of stepping that in in all of those there's still a separation between between the supplicant and 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 uh, and the one they're they're making their supplication to 
There's still that separation. It's still a, it, it's it's better, but it's a devotional path, right? And ultimately, the separation has to disappear, which means the you that is praying has to disappear, <laughs> because only and and a complete surrender is only God is. God is all. Love, there's nothing but love. Love is the essence of all things. Therefore, everything is love. I am love. And the, the sense of myself as a separate being just dissolves, dissolves away, and God is all there is. God has always been all there is. And it, only an, a belief, an idea of separation, which was never real. Now, this is, this is seen and oftentimes when we see this, we're still in the position of all the old conditioning being there, right? So affirmative prayer and even going beyond affirmative prayer to that sense of oneness, there's still feelings, right? The sense of a separate self is still active, just like the idea of, a, of, an, of an angry God is active within the human system, not just in the mind, but in the, but the entire mechanism it's built into it's built into reactions and responses into different kinds of behaviors into memories into interpretations into give the giving of meaning all of these things are still operating even though there's been maybe even a big um, insight a big revelation into the oneness of of god and this is faith faith is even though all of this is still going on and that all sorts of evidence is being constantly thrown at me that I am a separate being, I know that I'm not. My faith now is, a, is kind of a conviction of what I'm seeing to be true, even though all the evidence contradicts it. Right? As beautiful the way Paul defined it, as it was translated in the it's a very famous statement. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And in the Amplified Bible, they, they, they translate it like this. Faith, seeing as real fact that which is invisible to the senses. And so there's, you see the truth of it, you feel the truth of it, even though all the rest has not is still contradicting it, that's faith. And the stronger the faith is, the more conviction there is that no, this really is the truth. To the point where you, you lay your life on the line for it, which is exactly what Christ did. Now, as far as belief is concerned, belief is a big, big subject. <laughs> so I've covered prayer and faith. Um, beliefs are useful but transient. The moment you call a belief the truth, it begins to manifest in your life. You begin to experience it as if it were the truth. And maybe even, and in your ignorance, uh, all of our ignorance as to how it actually works, when we don't realize that what we're experiencing is a direct reflection of our deeply held beliefs, we think that it's an objective fact out there and not a reflection. We think the guy, you know, it's the kitten who sees, uh, looks in the mirror and thinks they see another kitten. It's all you. It's all you. And this revelation, right, is a liberation. This is the Savior, the Messiah. It liberates you from the idea that there's something out there that's harming you. 
and turns your attention back towards that it's the realm of the unseen. And so, so beliefs are very, very powerful right? and need to be scrutinized. <laughs> and, you know, scrutinized, sorted out, and you don't need beliefs to live. And the, the more that belief becomes understanding, the more faith rises because it, it's now the the it's it's being it's depending on what is being actually witnessed within and not on external uh, evidence and prayer becomes becomes disappears into that scene what, what is there to pray to or i mean it, it's it's fulfilled before it even arises how's that daryl does that answer your your question Mary, you're a gem with your introduction. I need to hear this. Yes, everyone born in the West needs to hear <laughs> needs 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 to hear this. Dee Dee, there's nothing else but God, but the ideas ar around what we think of to be God are still separating us from being it. Very good. It's as if an idea is looking to know God. Ooh, I like the way you said that. Yet an idea cannot see outside of itself. Because once it's truly seen, that no idea no longer is. An idea, yeah, it, it, it can't see outside of itself. It can't see at all. An idea is something that appears to consciousness, to awareness, to God. An idea isn't a sentient being that can see anything. It becomes a lens through which we see. And once we see that it's... Uh, once seen for what it is, an idea and not the truth, it falls away. They, it ceases to be. Now, it never really existed in the first place. So even saying it ceased, ceased to be is, is, a, is a concession. It's a, it's, a just, it's, a, it's a limitation of language. And, you know, it's like saying, you know, Bugs Bunny died. <laughs> <laughs> he ne he was never he he was never real. He was a, a fictional character of the mind, and all of our ideas are are like that. And yes, this is what's going to happen. God is all there is. So every idea that contradicts that must be false. Every feeling that contradicts it, every sensation that contradicts it, must be false. And this is faith in this realization, right? um, the, the continual recognition of it is prayer or meditation, whichever you want, want to say, and the, and the genuine scrutiny of all of the, these ideas is self-inquiry. So there it is, you got your whole practice wrapped, wrapped up. I really like it. an idea is looking to know God and it can't. It can't do it. An idea can't know anything. So bring your attention to that which is aware of the idea, right? because that's the true God. Witnessing the idea. It's no idea. Ideas cannot think themselves. They have to appear to consciousness. And isn't 
that which they are appearing to, isn't that you? So the true I and God are one, just as Christ said. I and my Father are one. I go unto my Father. That's said it as <laughs> about as plain as you can put it. <laughs> is that um, is that? And, and, well, it wasn't really a question, but does that um, add anything to what you had to say? There, Didi, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Plan, greetings from a cold, frosty Sweden. It's cold here, too. I really like it, especially in the morning. I open up the window. <sighs> Freezing temperature. Ooh, yay. David, GP, if you taught that from the pulpit, <laughs> the congregation would stone you. Sad that they want the governing enforcing God. I guess they want it that way to protect them. Well, and also they have been, they have been, they don't really want it, but they've been trained that that's what they got and you better not deny it. They're scared to death. Evangelical Christianity is not a religion of love. It is a religion of fear. And anything that has to keep you in fear in order to get your obedience is is of the devil. It is of the egoic mind. It is it is of that which is enforcing its own views in opposition to the true God of love. And and deceiving the very elect. <laughs> It's um, it, it's really amazing how twisted it's become, but you you can the insanity of it is becoming increasingly obvious. Daryl Fax David, yes, um, yeah, this kind of stuff. But it, it's amazing when you begin to see it. Well, you know, it's not completely true because <laughs> uh, Meister Eckert, um, a a Christian mystic who taught stuff like this um, got away with it. One, because he was a man, and number two, because he was an extremely popular speaker. Um, and so the church didn't touch him uh, until he died, and after he died, they, they put him on trial for heresy. <laughs> but he, he, he said that God and man both arose from the same ground of being. Catholic priest, <laughs> or Anthony DeMello. So, well, he was, he was excommunicated. His books were banned and all of that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, well, maybe that'll all change someday. I hope so. Carl, hi, GP. When you say everything causes everything, how does that relate to the teachings that we choose our destiny before we are even born? God, love is present. Continual randomness? Um, yeah, the, the idea that we choose our destiny before we are born is relies completely on the idea that you are a separate self moving through time. And that, um, you know, the reincarnation is there is a separate personal self 
an individual soul or consciousness that goes through different lifetimes and that it's growing, right, and evolving. Right? It's not true. There is no separate self that is going through lifetimes. There is only the self in front of which lifetime after lifetime appears. There's no destiny being chosen, like, like nothing is being chosen. Right? Now, for some that may seem very confusing when I say that, but it, it's where do thoughts where do thoughts come from? What are they made of? How do they operate? Can you determine what your next thought is going to be? Can you determine what uh, can you choose what your next thought is going to be? Even, isn't even the act of, of choosing a thought? Because <laughs> what happens is, is a, you know, you're, you're make, trying to make a decision and then a choosing thought happens. It, it just comes out of nowhere. And a couple of thoughts later, that choosing thought, for some reason, you know, gets the nod, right? Because it, it is a choosing thought, which means it's going to marshal the energy of the rest of the system and focus its attention and action in a certain direction. And a couple of thoughts later, we think, I thought that. I chose that. But the act of choosing came after the choosing thought actually had happened. So nobody's choosing anything. Every thought, as I said before, the human consciousness is a, is a unified field. They're not a bunch of individual little consciousnesses. There's one consciousness in which there are individual manifestations or you might say uh, condensations, right? So th there's, there's, an, there's an infinite amount of energy you know, between you and I, but what we call you and I is just the energy is a little more dense, but it's all the same energy, right? So the, the, every single thought is emerging out of that so it's a cosmic event. Every thought is the universe thinking. Everything causes everything. Why is somebody also asked Nizar Gadara who where that quote came from, uh, why are things the way they are? Because the universe is the way it is. W think about it. If even according to the, 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 the current idea about the Big Bang, which is actually being questioned now, or something else, which is really interesting. Anyway, the big the the Big Bang. If if any of the circumstances of the Big Bang had been a little bit different, this entire thing would have been different, or not at all. If it if it cooled uh, at at a, at a rate quicker or or slower than it did, certain things wouldn't form. You have to realize that the moment we're standing in right now is simply a bubble. In this, in this infinite progression that's going on. We imagine that somehow that my individual person is this special thing inside of this whole. It's not. <laughs> there is no special thing. You are the whole and nothing else. That's what you are. You are the whole, the infinite consciousness experiencing itself as from a particular point of view. And that particular point of view is called GP or Carl. But when you look at GP, 
right? You say, it's not, it's not Carl. Yeah, it's not, right? But it is the self. It, it is the self looking at itself. And it can only see itself through the manifestation of itself. Because take away the manifestation, there's nothing there. It's totally invisible. It cannot be seen. Like pure white light cannot be seen. It has to be broken into pieces. It has to have have some filters put on it. And the moment a filter is put on it, then suddenly, ah, I see it, right? There's green, right? Like the plants behind me, all the various shades of, of green. But in between, right, the only reason we can see that is because that particular, that particular thing, light beam is coming in and hitting the eye. But I can see it at all because in between is invisible light <laughs> that isn't reflecting anything. It's filled, the room's filled with light, right? It's not like the light is just there. It's everywhere. <laughs> but, in, but in certain instances, it manifests in a particular form, shape and shade and color and, and, and all of that. Right? So um, the knowing of this, the reality of this, right? the reality that is behind this is the God or love that is always present. But you can't see it. <laughs> you can't see it except what manifests it. This is what Christ meant when he said, no one comes unto the Father but by me. And later on he said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He was not saying I'm God or that I'm it, right? You have to accept me as your personal savior. He was, he was saying, he, he was saying that no, the only way you know God is through that which manifests God. God in his wholeness cannot be seen. And so everything Jesus did, uh, everything every saint and sage does, is God made manifest. The realization that I am God made manifest is the Christ. That is the Savior. That is the Messiah. And so it isn't random. Right? <laughs> you know, like, you know, the universe, who knows why the, the Big Bang, it happened the way it did in all of this. But from the moment that happened and the conditions were absolutely perfect, none of it was going to be random. And any scientist will say that to you when they're accused of, you know, there has to be a God because... Something can't come from nothing, or it's all it's all random. No, it's not. It's it's quite orderly, right? But it's self-fulfilling, right? Your your nature is is not random. And therefore, your nature is going to be manifesting itself according to the nature of it. Not random at all. The appearance of the appearing of it can be infinitely vast and appear to be random. I mean, why, why is it manifested in this form and not something else? Why, you know, why, why has, have we gotten to this place in human history and things are the, the way they are? It's not random, but it is not, but you can't pinpoint a nice little linear uh, set of steps because it's, this, it's just this infinitely complex ma multidimensional matrix of everything influencing and creating everything else. <laughs> <laughs> the mind wants to break it down and make it something it can manage, right? Okay, well, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, mostly so that it can control it in some way, through power, through fear, through influence, through 
you know, attracting through metaphysics or whatever, the, the desire to control what you cannot control. The moment you can, you can determine what your next thought is going to be, let me know. I mean, it's so obvious. <laughs> you do not know what your next thought's going to be. So what makes you think you're creating it? What make, does make anybody think that they're controlling it? Is that, is that answered for you, Carl? <clears throat> Tried to cover it as in depth as I could. Ah, Matt, for the blessings. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Jay, though nowadays there's a lot more people that are aware of or exposed to this teaching. Yes, there, yes, there are. Um, <clears throat> yes, there are. And you know, I, I always emphasize that the, the exposure is great, but we need teachers. <laughs> we, need, we need teachers. As you can see, this stuff is very subtle, and it's so easy to misinterpret it. It's so easy to take the new wine and put in old wineskins. Try to make these things that have nothing to do with the, the cultural norms, right? And, and try to make these fit into that. It takes a teacher to help you break down the context so you're hearing with fresh childlike ears, Zen mind, beginner mind. You're, you're, not, you're not trying to interpret this stuff from the old point of view. That's what makes it, that's what messes it up. Its real job is to completely, to make a, a repentance, a, 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 an alchemical transformation so you don't see things the same way. And, and then you find out that this teaching is, is not a teaching like any other teaching. It is not something you simply learn. It's something you, you become. You are that. I am the teaching. There's nobody doing the teaching. The, it, it, the teaching is simply happening. But it takes the appearance of somebody teaching in order for that to truly be clear. And so having the gift of, of a teacher that you've come to trust is um, the greatest gift there is. It, it means that you have over multiple lifetimes prepared to, to hear the Dharma. You've earned the merit, as it would say in some traditions. So thanks, Jay. Mary, oh my God, you are saying what I need to hear about God. This is the truth that all humanity needs to hear. I can't say enough about this whole subject. Many blessings to you. <laughs> Many blessings to you, Mary. Yes, the whole world does need to hear it. It is the, it is the gift. It is the true gospel, the true gift of salvation. And this is what Jesus was really doing. Right? For, as far as I can tell, as I said, that's... I believe there was somebody who existed. Was he named Yahshua? Who knows? I, I mean, the crucifixion, all of the stuff that came, it's, it is now so, it is just so now in, intertwined with, with legend and, and myth and, and, uh, and actual just distortion and adulteration for, to serve the interests of power that it's almost impossible to discern. So I just look at, I just look at the words that are so obviously different. They're filled with love. They, they point towards a completely different place. And 
they point in a way that that would that would sound more like a like Buddhism. It, it gets confirmed by hearing it from other masters, like this statement from Christ in the Gospel of Thomas, which is not you know the official canon, of course. Um, <clears throat> But he, Jesus says this most amazing thing. <clears throat> he says, he who drinks of my mouth shall become as I am, and I shall be he. I mean, wow. <laughs> that's, not that's not the Christianity we know. Shall become as I am, and I shall be he. Uh, that's something you'd hear from a, a Buddhist or, or, or an Advaitist. That I, drinking, drinking, who really drinks the spirit, the essence, the revelation of the true nature that is Christ, shall become Christ, and God shall be he. That's what he's saying. I can understand why Thomas was rejected as one of the Gospels. <laughs> Certainly don't want that. <laughs> uh, David, I always tried to do the spirit of the law as a child in church, but the adults around me were all about the rules. Yeah, totally blind to any meaning in the scriptures. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. And um, still are. Still are. Every now and then something something pops up. Um, I, I, I met a, a young man whose father was uh, just recently, um, I met the man young rec recently, but his father was the head of a megachurch who actually woke up to, to all of this and was regarded as a heretic. Matter of fact, there's a documentary about him. His name's Rob Bell. And um, there's a documentary about him called The Heretic. It's, it's the whole thing as to how he, the whole transition that that he made, and it's very interesting. It's very interesting the things he has to say, um, as he's as he has matured, and uh, as, as it turns out, his son told me he he and uh, he they um, they both into the into into the non dual into the non dual now, and actually listen to listen to my satsangs. So um, the message is getting out there. And you know somebody like that is going to have a huge, huge impact. Um, yes, he was called a heretic. He had all sorts of stuff thrown at him, protesters at places that he spoke, uh, and the like. But he had the courage of his convictions that Jesus was not an excluder. He was not a punisher. Completely different view of things. And it was just—it's um, really quite beautiful. Really quite beautiful. To, beautiful to see. And his son's a lovely. Lovely young man. Anyway, enough about that. Maria, love and blessings from England. Blessings to you. Be comfy. Yes, says <laughs> Matt. Thank you. <laughs> Facebook user, Namaste GP. Oh, I guess Facebook got their problem fixed because they said earlier they may not be able to stream into uh, into uh, Facebook that the streams weren't uh, the streams weren't working. So. Um, so I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that. Uh, <coughs> I'm glad that uh, they're breaking through. 
Andrew, good evening from the UK. Good evening to you, Matt. I'm one of those with the fresh unveiling for the thanks of your help. Helping others requires me to help me first. Yes, it does. We have to be able to process these deep feelings within us. When we can, nothing anybody brings to you will bother you. Nothing. I've heard some incredible, I've heard horror stories of the things that have happened to people, the things they've been through in this and past, in past lives. Once you learn how to make that place of safety that naturally transmutes energy, um, you're invincible and you will be able to help, help others. And it doesn't have to be, I've got to get this all before I can help others. It's it's not like that, you know. Got to fix me first? No. To the degree that you create, can create the safety within yourself, you will, you will be able to do that for others, and it will be a growth. So you don't have to wait, you know, till you're walking on water before you accept people wanting your help. And I do... I do. I've, I've had a lot of requests to do some some training about this, but I'm completely rethinking how I did it. I've done training for inner reconciliation as a major thing, and it's still that. And I've also done training for meridian tapping and EFT and things like that, as well as meditation. And I don't know. I'm I'm trying to distill it down to something that's easier easier to learn, and and maybe even some kind of a mentorship program. So I don't know yet. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Matt. Maria, that's so powerful, G. We empaths need to do our own inner reconciliation first. Y you have to be able to work with the energy in you first. If you can't, the, the energy coming from others will be overwhelming. Be be and the reason why is when that energy comes up, it's going to it's going to connect up to the same resistance you have to your own feelings, right? And of course, you're going to do what you're going to do anything. <laughs> you're going to do anything to get away from that. Right? So, being able to be present with our own feelings is it's a it's a it's an essential essential skill. Um, you have to learn how to do it. This is the yoga of allowing. But what you're really doing is learning self-acceptance and unconditional love, because that's what it really is. And again, love is God. <laughs> you are learning to be God, to be that pure love. Uh, Takira. Hello, Takira. Like going to war? Um... What are you referring to? You know, when I finally, you know, you, you put the comment at 1133 and, uh, and it's now like, what, 12 something, right? 12 on, on my thing. So it was like 45 minutes ago. So as I'm scrolling through there, uh, you might want to add a little bit more so I know what you're re re referring to. Maybe you're, you're talking about um, various religious points of view that that actually even create war and yes it's exactly the same the 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 same things they are our beliefs entrench themselves the ideas of god entrench themselves and god says go wipe out this country i'm going to give you this land only problem there's a bunch of people there so 
go in and kill him and the land's yours. Um, I mean, this is how this, this, is how this, this, this madness works. So maybe I answered your question. I'm not really sure. Um, Andrew, let the feeling remain, but lose the fear. Yes, yes, exactly so. The fear is not in the feeling. The fear is a reaction to the feeling. <laughs> the feeling's innocent. They always are, even if they're uncomfortable. Well, so what, right? So what? <laughs> you're going to go through life without any discomfort? You're going to live something like this that you never get cut or break a leg or something? Like, come on. Right? I, broke my, I broke my collarbone. Why? Because I, I, I had to lay down a motorcycle because I was about to, some guy cut me off in traffic. Would I ever, would I, did I stop riding motorcycles? So I can, no, <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> it's a consequence. Okay. <laughs> it's a great bike. <laughs> uh, so yes, there's the feelings themselves are totally innocent. You are innocent. Everything about life is innocent. This is the horrible, horrible legacy of the Abrahamic religions as they have perpetuated that, that life is filled with guilt and nature has fallen and you're all horrible. Bullshit. It's not true. It's innocent. <laughs> Purely innocent. You are innocent. That's what it really means. That's what forgiveness means, to be found not guilty. And so lose the fear. Yeah. The, the feelings themselves are, are pure. <laughs> They're pure feeling. Remove all of the overhead and you'll experience the bliss of life in all of its dimensions. Even great grief is filled with, is filled with bliss. Mm. Uh, Mary, safe space, yes, yes. God is the ultimate safe space. <laughs> That's the truth of God. And yet it's projected as if it's, it is the great condemning force. Oh, my God. How horrible. It's exactly the opposite. It is the redeeming, protecting, loving force. Daryl, absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Daryl. Okay, says Takira. <laughs> okay. Love that name. Didi, I think a lot of our reactions that arise on what we feel are due to how our parents felt and reacted to us when we were found in certain situations. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Our reactions that arise, our fears, all of it are programmed into us. None of them are original. None of them are real in the sense that they're an objective fact. They are programmed into us. They are not the truth. And separating the conditioned response from the actual experience of emotion and sensation and, and, and the like is the liberation. This isn't me. This is conditioned responses. But because I didn't know that before, the, the events and the reactions seem to be absolutely hardwired, like this is the way it has to be. It isn't. They're softwired. This can be broken. That reactive pattern, which is the conditioning, and it is completely determined, well, not completely. The, 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 the majority of it is determined by the, our experiences as children and, and the trauma 
that comes when we realize that we cannot really be ourselves. We have to become somebody other than ourselves to survive, and so much of us has to be suppressed. That's the majority of it. The, the rest of it comes from the deep, deep, more deeply held vasanas and samskaras. Takira, yes, me too. Thank you very much. <laughs> Wonderful. Bernadette, I've always trusted my inner soul sensations. Always, really? Well, that's, wow, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Some have, some have. Even though I had an enormous amount of resistance, there was early on something told me this is true. It was just kind of this instinct that it really was true. Right? Even though I had no confidence, I had no courage, I didn't know what to, 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 to do with it. You know, my conditioning was really extreme. But yeah, there was this sense that I, this is true. This is really true. And so many times it played itself out as being true. So wonderful. Mary, I feel like I've been duped into thinking the wrong way. No, you've been threatened, coerced into thinking the wrong way. It's an evangelical, you were, you were brainwashed through fear. That's techniques that are used on prisoners of war. Okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, this, I'm serious. <laughs> These are the techniques that are used on prisoners of war. Brainwashing through fear, just undermining everything, gaslighting everything, diminishing everything you know, scaring you, scaring you to death, so that you will adopt a particular set of ideas. It's horrible. It is antichrist. <laughs> it is not the antichrist because it's not a person or a thing. Um, it is a, it is a state of mind that claims to be Christ-like and isn't. Ah, toast. <laughs> Hello, Toast. Fascinated by the title. I follow New Age practice and metaphysics, but, Christ but Christianity condemns this endlessly. Yes, it does. It does. Everything's about condemnation. Christ never condemned. He engaged in conversation. He questioned. Right? He invited people to take a look at, at things differently, but he could do that because he had this love. He had this sense of place, had this sense of a, a safe space right? where that was okay. He, he, he just, he emanated this field of unconditional love and forgiveness. And it just it trans, transformed people right, right before his eyes. Right? And so, yes, Christianity is going to condemn the New Age practices, metaphysics, the New Thought churches, um, meditation. Oh, I've seen, seen one on the list, you know, a picture of the devil with all these things on the wall, meditation and yoga and all these things they love because I'm going to get them and, and uh, same-sex marriage and, and, uh, and socialism. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, it's gone insane. It has gone insane. Right? So, yeah, condemns it endlessly. So, but um, and so, just put, just push it out of your out of your mind, right? But also, don't cling to a practice in defiance of that. Don't let them have any power whatsoever. Be present with your practice, completely open and 
honestly so that it can grow and unfold. Right? Remember, no practice we have is ultimate. None. Right? Even Buddha said that, that his own teachings were only temporary measures. They were only to bring you to a certain point. Once you're at that point, you can let them go. Right? You take a, a boat to go across a lake. When you get to the other side, you don't pick up the boat and carry it around. You leave it for somebody else. You, Because you're done. You don't need that tool anymore. A big mistake in personal development, people invest in a particular tool. Oh, this, I do this. I do NLP or I do, I do, I do, I, I do tapping. And they all have limitations and they're all temporary. Once you have arrived, there's no more need for, for any kind of practice. So this allows you to be really flexible and creative with your practice. Okay? Not let anybody tell you this is the way it should be. <laughs> no, it isn't. It, 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 you're, you're going to, especially these days, because we have so much available, there's so much we can borrow from. Right? Um, again, that... You know, overchoice can be a problem in and of itself, which is really helpful to have people in your life that can help guide you so that it, the practice remains progressive and remains in your individual path, um, but does not dismiss or diminish that or, or enforce it in, in some way. You'll know when a practice isn't having the same kind of effect it used to have, the first thing you do is inquire into it. Say, okay, am I resisting something about it? Is this, is this my ego that doesn't want to have something exposed? Following that, you can go, okay, if, if that's not the case, then maybe an adjustment to the practice is necessary. And maybe it's time to move on to something completely new. Just remember that nothing is absolute. Nothing is the truth but the truth. And all practices are an approximation they're 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 an embodiment of they're the cultural costume the truth is wearing nothing none of them are the truth itself you are the truth itself and ultimately your practice disappears because you don't need practice being you you already are <laughs> thank you toast <laughs> to Kira, i would and still do finish people's sentences yeah, I've learned not to do that. <laughs> I've learned, I've learned not to do that. Um, to really, and you can do it if you just say, okay, maybe there's a nuance or here, something here that I'm, I'm not, that I may be missing because I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of them. Stop. Slow down. And, and, and just go into it and just listen. Listen with your heart rather than the head. Even when your head knows where they're going, what they're going to say, look beyond it. Just kind of, kind of cue in on their, their, their on, on the heart. Maybe there's more there. Maybe there's more there. And it'll also cultivate a sense of just real patience. You know, the further... The more mature, spiritually mature you get, the more people who are not going to be on your level. We have to develop the bodhisattva love for them. Okay? We are here to save all beings from suffering. We seek enlightenment for the sake of all beings, 
not not merely to relieve our own suffering. It starts there, of course, but eventually you realize that the spirit of this is the, like the spirit of Christ. It is seeking the, the ultimate truth for the sake of everyone. Until, of course, everyone disappears and you find that there's nothing but the one. Which makes that whole practice even more interesting. <laughs> so, thank you, Takira. Thank you for answering. You're very welcome. Very welcome. Daryl, GP, I'll tell you the truth. If I believed in gurus, you would be mine. <laughs> thank you, Daryl. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Peter in Italy. Peter, who doesn't have any questions these days. Just uh, That's because you are the answer, my friend. There's uh, Barbara in Sweden. Fernando in Brazil. Ah. Oh, I haven't been to Brazil in years, since the late 80s. Lovely, 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 lovely. Thank you. I see a lot of new people here, too. Wonderful. All life. Hi, <laughs> GP. Blessings. Blessings to you. Beatrice. Hello. So good to see you. Beatrice was in my very first Inner Reconciliation Certified Facilitator Program a long time ago. Wow. Hello, Beatrice. So good to see you. Daryl, you are right. East Coast, Maryland. Yeah, good, good. To cares in North Carolina, may, may God continue to bless you all. Oh, thank you, Takira. I almost said Shakira. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> ah, toast, I feel that the condemning God was created as a reaction to the mind and unwanted thoughts, as if to say this thought is evil and therefore I am. The condemning God was created simply out of you know, the condemning, there's always been the trickster God, <laughs> right? Gods of all, of, of everything. We've seen spirits and the like. But depending on the culture, um, the condemning God was kind of a tribal warlike uh, God. It was, it's much more primitive because it's all rule-based. And the more rule-based a culture is, the more restrictive they, they, they are the more of a condemning God there's going to be. There has to be an ultimate authority that's enforcing the rules of, of, of the tribe. And, you know, if the tribe is living in harsh conditions, that God is going to be harsh, right? If you're living in, a, in an environment that's very difficult to live in, there's not a lot of room, you know, for movement. <laughs> if, you're, if you're living, you know, way up north somewhere where summer's very short and you have to collect, you have to get as much food as you can, you don't have a lot of options. It's not the same as somebody living by the equator in the Caribbean or something where, you know, coconuts are falling from the sky. <laughs> There's so much abundance, you can just kind of walk around naked all day and have a good time. Very different. They have very different gods. <laughs> so it, God is a reflection of that. And it, it's just that the condemning God got picked up Um as a very powerful tool um, by the by the, by the Roman Empire, um, at which then spread absolutely everywhere, um, appropriated all sorts of things, infiltrated all sorts of things to replace their the local gods with this god, which gave them complete control over their minds, which was the point, right? And 
and ended up just kind of turning into the Western mind, which is, you know, Christianity has become the most materialistic religion on the planet. It justified slavery, it justifies war, it justifies the destruction of the earth, it justif justifies just this extreme uh, global capitalism, it justifies poverty. Uh, I mean, it's <laughs> that original work of Christianity as a tool of empire is still working 2,000 years later. Wow. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> pretty stunning. <laughs> uh, so um, remember, nobody really created it. it. It all just kind of grew out of the environments. Nobody sat down and said, I think I'm going to make this. Although, you know, the, 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 the Roman appropriation was pretty calculated. Constantine used um, used the stories of of, of Christ, you know, claiming to have had this great revelation on the battlefield and the like, um, which appears to have been just a complete lie that he told, just to basically win support. It was a political political mover movement. That seems to be more of a of a conscious attempt, um, but none of it's totally conscious. So, and yes, this thought is evil and therefore I am. <laughs> That's an association that got, got made. First off, who said the thought was evil? Well, they did. And it's, oh, and you're having this evil thought? The evil thought that for you is just a thought, but I just made it evil for you? Um, you're evil because you had the thought and I decided it was evil arbitrarily right, to control you. <laughs> It's amazing when you when you understand it, and it's still going on, and it's on steroids these days. Not just in Christianity, but in other in other uh, really militant aspects. Mostly the Abrahamic religions. Mostly um, the vast majority. Um, but uh, this, uh, I had a feeling this uh, this subject was going to open up some cans. <laughs> Anthony says, not too early. Start time 5, 5.30. It was 4.30 before our clocks changed. Oh, 5.30, yeah, that's not bad. Daryl I'm in tears. This is so much. Oh, oh, man. Facebook user, how do I stop manifesting bad things? I want good. Well, in a word, you have to get to know yourself. The, the manifesting of bad things things is the result of all the parts of us that we have rejected and pushed away and we are trying to compensate for that by manifesting good things coming into our lives that is a compensation for self-rejection for unprocessed trauma right trying to not turn your attention towards you forget about manifesting things at all and, and put all of your attention on coming to see who you really are, healing your heart and opening yourself up to being free of conditioning and all of the stuff that comes with it. Until you do, the attempt to manifest will not only be feeble or not work at all, it will simply be 
uh, a block to your genuine spiritual growth. And unfortunately, that's what the whole law of attraction and all of that has done. It has put people's attention on getting the things, not realizing that the attempt to get the things is a compensation for a huge sense of lack that exists in you. <laughs> and no thing in the world, no matter how big it is or important or how valuable, how much money it is or how much fame, is going to fill up that. Nothing can fill that up except you. So for you, that's what I would recommend if I'm sensing you cor correctly. We all want good, of course. But we want to be that. As Muji puts it, you want, to, you want to taste the honey. You don't want to be the honey. I want you to be the honey and taste yourself. Thank you, Facebook user. I, I hope that touched you. Mary, I'm with you, dear. Red Rose, sounds like when we believe in separation, we make ourselves inferior and unworthy. Yes, which leads us to feel not good enough and try to justify our worthiness instead of doing, with doing instead of being, or with actions or try to measure to some unknown standard. Yes, that's exactly correct, Sonia. Oh, I'm so, I'm so proud and happy with you. You've come so far since I've known you. Yeah, it's exactly the case. When we believe in separation, the sense of self is going to be arbitrary. It's going to be completely the separate self, which isn't real. It didn't really happen. You're always still you, but now we believe in that. There's a, a kind of an existential trauma that takes place that that instills in the nervous system there's the universe out here and me here and then tries to define who that person is for most it ends up feeling inferior unworthy i'm not enough well the i'm not enough is in everybody but then we compensate for it in different ways some will feel superior right and become really really arrogant or aggressive or mean right others will become demure and 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 placid um in sense with a sense of inferior inferiority and unworthy worthiness so that feeling of not being good enough is the, is there first and then everything else is an attempt to try to compensate for that right because you can't face what the energy system believes is the truth and this is why it is this is why this work is difficult the belief that i'm not enough in terms of our heads, we can say it's a belief. As far as the energy system is concerned, it's a fact. It's an absolute fact. It is the explanation as to why you were treated the way you were and why this trauma happened. It was because you are not good enough. And it does not want to face the reality of that because it's afraid it's going to die if it does. Because the moment it was installed, it was a life and death thing. This, this feeling, I've got to completely abandon myself because I'm not enough, or I'm going to die. The separate self gets created. That's, that's where it happens. And then from that point on, it's trying to compensate. It's trying to hide the truth of this. So people freak out <clears throat> when I start doing EFT or, or some kind of allowing uh, practice with them and I start by going I'm not enough I'm really not enough it's the absolute truth 
and I start voicing it as if it were the actual truth because these deep parts of us think it is. And if you try to tell them it's not, they're going to dig their, it's just going to dig its heels in even more. You first have to go, okay, what if it is true? What if I really am not good enough? Well, first off, I can stop all the effort I'm doing at trying to prove myself. Boy, what a lot of, what a relief that is. I, if I'm not, well, okay, what can I do about it? Okay, I'm not good enough. All right. You can actually, something inside opens up by simply acknowledging what you haven't been able to acknowledge, right? which has kept it in place. I, oh, boy, I could go off on this all day. But anyway, thank you, Sonia, for bringing that up. <clears throat> it's about love, yes. Yes, Didi. Hey, my sheik and everyone for Vienna, pray for me. Oh, of course. Of course, my love. Of course I will. Yes. I hold you in your in your highest state as the very manifestation of God herself. God can't make a mistake. You can't make a mistake. God can't go without. You can't go without. The two are one. Whatever you know about God is true about you. The loving God is the loving you. You are one. That is my prayer. Hey, hello there. Hello there, Dale. Good to see you. Mayor, gee, how do I get over the need for personal love? It's the only hindrance in my sadhana. It's become a constant wound because I keep getting rejected and I can't take it anymore. Please guide me. Ah, Mayor. I don't want to, you to get over the need for personal love. And in fact, you can't. The desire for personal love is innate in human beings. I feel it. Right? I've lived alone for quite a while. Right? And every now and then, God, boy, it'd really be nice to sit, have somebody sit on the couch with and watch a movie or something. It's perfectly natural. Right? I don't reject it. I also don't reject the feeling of not having it. And the possibility that I never will, the likelihood I never will. At, at, at this point in my at this point in my life, right? yet I can't reject my humanness. That is not the true sadhana. Right? So first off, just embrace the fact that you're feeling it, and what what it's what is it like when you no longer see it as a hindrance? or a problem that needs to be solved, that it's just a feeling that is arising that's quite natural to human beings and necessary for human beings, which may or may not get fulfilled. So is the problem the feeling of this need for it? Or is the problem that you see it as a hindrance and a problem? You see, the mind has interpreted it as a problem that's in the way of your sadhana. It's not. It's not true. This is one of the ways in which the mind keeps us separate and keeps our sadhana always chasing the carrot. 
The sadhana is, I already am what I appear to be seeking. That's the, and the recognition of that, the consistent recognition of that, and denying anything that contradicts that is the true sadhana. That's the true inquiry. Now, if the if wanting to overcome or or go beyond the need for personal love is a result of having your heart broken, right? well, then that's not really the sadhana, is it? Yeah. The feeling of being rejected and the feeling of being, uh, and the heartbreak and the pain, right, is also inevitable because this is what happens when we love. <laughs> the more we love, the bigger the love, the bigger the grief. The bigger the love, the bigger the broken heart. They are come hand in hand. You cannot have one with the other. You know, if you pick up a stick, you're always going to have two ends. <laughs> right. So, this isn't, the sadhana is not a means to avoid being rejected. And you can't make a statement, okay, I'm never going to be in a relationship again. You know, I'm going to become a nun or I'm going to do my, my, my sadhana. Because you, you, you can't do that. That mind, that, the mind that makes those kinds of commitments is not trustworthy. It is not stable. You know, right, before, uh, right before you get, you, uh, you, uh, you're ready to step into nirvana, suddenly be, oh, hi, Mayor. Why don't we get a coffee? <laughs> it, 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 it's none of this is a problem. Personal love, personal relationships, getting your heart broken, grieving because they've moved on or they died or something. This is life. Accepting it as it is is the sadhana. If you can accept it, as it is, that is the path. Embracing the wound, the heartbreak, recognizing that this is what all humans feel and you're seeking enlightenment, enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. And the need that is in, inherent in, in the human body for personal love. And you embrace those. And in so doing, you become their master. When they're no longer a problem, they're just a functioning of life, you can watch them come and you can watch them go. You, you may get involved again, you may not. Doesn't, and at that point, it doesn't matter. And, and it really comes to that place, the likelihood that somebody shows up who's actually going to contribute to your sadhana rather than... In, rather than be a hindrance to it, becomes highly likely. If, if, that, if that's what's needed for your sadhana to complete itself, is a, a loving partner to walk the path with you for a while, because they all end at some point, um, then, then that, that will be crystal clear. It will obviously be part of the unfoldment of your sadhana. So don't, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. Don't let your mind make it into a problem. 
Is that guidance for you, Mayur? Dale, got a few questions today. All right, what happens to us when we are dying? How do you feel about your death, physically, of course, and why does the mind make it seem so scary? Because it is the death of the ego? Uh, well, the physical death is not the death of the ego. Uh, no, because the ego isn't what we think it is. Let's put it this way. It's the death of the person of this particular personal sense of self, but of not of the but not of the vasanas and samskaras that have given rise to this particular body mind complex and the immersion in that of a sense of in the sense of of ego. Um, yes, physical death seems scary because because of the various ideas people have gotten about it. Period. What's scary about it? <laughs> Puberty is more scary. Going through high school again, it would be more scary <laughs> than than the body dying. In, in you know, in Buddhism, I've I've heard a a, a couple of meditations. I've even done a meditation, it's a YouTube video, on impermanence and death. In in Buddhism, especially Tibetan Buddhism, they it's a regular part of the practice because we're always dying. Things are always coming and going, to understand the impermanence of things. At some point, everything's going to fall away. Everyone you know, all your accomplishments, all your money, your bank accounts, your family, everything is going to disappear like a dream. And it'll be like a dream memory, right? Just like every other past life has just, you don't remember them. Every now and then some little tidbit might might point out, but it's, it's gone because it, it was a dream. This entire life has been a dream that you've been having. So when you are dying, what I, what I would invite you to do is to die daily. That's what, that's what uh, St. Paul said, I die daily. Matter of fact, the word Paul means to cease to be. It's beautiful. <laughs> he chose that name, Paul, to cease to be. So to, to look at life as impermanent makes this moment precious. It, it does not diminish anything. So what happens to you when you're dying? Well, imagine you're dying. Don't take it as a concept. Imagine, all right, I'm dying. This is it. This is my last breath. Now what? What's going to happen? I don't know. Notice, is there a fear of it? Or is there something that's just kind of going, yeah, okay, all right, <laughs> I'm going to die now. <laughs> but if you actually, I, I did a, I got a meditation here, and the, 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 the you know, the, the timeless time, the eternal moment between, um, which actually kind of dives into the experience of all, everything fading away. Everything that matters to you right now doesn't matter anymore. You know, your, your plans are curtailed. Right? All the great plans that you had for the future, gone. Every one you know, gone. And, and really ponder on that nature of impermanence. And it will make you unafraid, unafraid of death. My only concern about death is that I know my granddaughters and friends and my students and my family will miss me. <laughs> For me, it's like 
transition. I mean, yet, yet another dream has ended. And I know that in fact, I will, they will, everything will just kind of, kind of, kind of pass away. That's all there is to it. It is very simple. It's very direct. So I would encourage people to just actually think about it. We don't. We're afraid of it. We don't want to think about death. We want to avoid death at, at all costs. Taking out life insurance and, you know, and uh, you know, having our bodies frozen until they can cure our disease. And oh my God, what utter insanity! Just ponder. What would it be like if all of a sudden all of this was gone? Then eventually you begin to see that all of this is coming and going every second. The universe is, is not a constant thing. It is a constantly replenished image. And at some point that replenishing is just going to stop. And there'll be just this emptiness that is full of love and peace. And if there are still some, scar some scars or vasanas, a new life will appear. If not, I can't say. <laughs> that is beyond where I can reach. Oh, gee, well, it does seem like there is a... Well, thank you for that, Dale. I hope it answers. Yeah. I'll just move on so quickly. Gee, well, it does seem that there's evolution of thought or an infinite time spiral containing the all in all. I feel that all of this doesn't go anywhere and there's no real direction. Y yes, the seed is within itself. It says in Genesis, which is really beautiful, bring, bringing forth fruit after its kind. The seed is within itself. There's no doubt that we experience a constant evolution, growth, expansion. It's undeniable, right? especially these days. It's just at an extraordinary rate. So, but what is it that is evolving? Right? It, it is simply the content of, co of consciousness, which is going to, to evolve forever. Now, what are you? Are you evolving? No. You are the timeless witness of, the, of this evolving. And you'd have to be, because the evolving needs somebody to see it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be evolving. It would just be, what, nothing. And it isn't going anywhere. There's, there's no goal out there anywhere. Any more than... You know, you listen to a, a really great jazz player improvising. There's no goal. He's not going anywhere. There's this incredible rush of creative spontaneity happening in the moment. And it may end up going somewhere. We see that it's going gone somewhere. <laughs> but then he's off again somewhere else. Right? Because there's no goal. They, they don't sit down with a goal. They start to play, and they just play, and whatever comes out. This is the nature of reality. God plays jazz. <laughs> and so it doesn't have a direction. It has no goal. There's nothing outside of it. There's nothing out there drawing it forward. There's no grand plan. It doesn't need a grand plan because the, because the source 
of what's unfolding is inexhaustible and perfect. So it doesn't need a plan because everything it does is inexhaustible and perfect and is expressive of it. So it can it has complete and total trust in its own its own beautiful perfection that manifests constantly. Well, you continued, but only this ecstatic being exploding through the pores of the ever-present. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's the ecstatic being playing jazz. <laughs> Thank you, Ella. Thank you. Oh my God, says Mary, we are not moving towards anything. We are just being with everything that is. Yeah, we're not going anywhere. Where are you going? <laughs> right? Wherever you go, you're always here, aren't you? This isn't just a you know a, a mind play. This isn't just this just this isn't just manipulating words. Where is here? It's you. And no matter where the body happens to go or the, the senses, the, the, the different things that the senses are experiencing, you're always experiencing it here where you are. You are always here. You've never moved, ever. Everything has moved around you. Everything has moved in you. But you've never moved. <laughs> There's no ultimate goal out there. There's no... Um, there's no special uh, reward. There's no heaven. There's no hell out there. Right? <laughs> it is life. The it is life. God, love, truth, Buddha nature, manifesting itself, its own infinite nature and perfection, constantly. This is why you don't need a plan. It's an, the internal explosion, the true big, big bang. It's not a, something that's been worked out in advance. <clears throat> oh, I love you too, Mary. Beatrice, a choosing thought. How refreshing. Yeah, it's just a choosing thought. That's all it is. Every thought is a cosmic event. Every thought is a cosmic event. There's no such thing as a personal thought. The sense of identity attaches itself to certain thoughts. I like this one. I don't like this. This is good. Oh, you come. You come. You go. You go. And of course, that's just trying to divide the indivisible universe. How well is that going to work? <laughs> uh, neutrality. GP, can you talk about unconditional love? How can an emotion be unconditional? Is conditional love, this unconditional love, the same love shared between partners and families? No. The unconditional love, and I'm happy to talk about it, the unconditional love, just let's make it very, very practical. The unconditional love starts with a simple willingness to be present with and accept my own feelings as they are. If I can accept something as it is, that's unconditional love. If I accept my partners and my family as they are, without needing them to change, that's unconditional love. 
Now, obviously, in our human life, people are different. We have, we have things that really blend beautifully and other things that are, that are like this. But if I can accept that, that that is the case, and I, and I have to humanly deal with that, that's unconditional love. I accept that this is a manifestation of love, but it's not the whole thing. And the love between partners and families does have conditions uh, attached to it. You know, if you're in a if if you're in a committed relationship, you're you're faithful to one another, and if you're feeling like you, you don't want to be, you have an ob you, you fulfill your obligation to say, I, I don't want this anymore. I've got I want to do something else. That's unconditional love. The the, the it is it, it's kind of the overarching way in which you approach the everyday um, conditional love. You know, the transactional love. I'll do this for you, and you you can do this for me. Right? Ex exchanging our work for for money, or me asking for donations. Right? It's it's condition. It's it's conditional. This is part of the stuff that you have to do. But accept this as it is, and where we are right now, and that it isn't permanent. It is going to change. That's the unconditional part. So you, you, can you see? It's a it's a bigger picture in which the everyday kind of not so perfect nitty gritty love can operate and and in the best possible way. So that in, in a relationship, you can find the ways to make sure that the relationship is working for both of you. The willingness to do that, right? To to make concessions where it, it isn't where it isn't where I'm not forced to be something other than I am or to do something against my values or something like that. If, if I can make concessions in a relationship to somebody else for the benefit of the relationship, for the mutual benefit, right? You might say that that's conditional love, right? And it is, it's a negotiation, but it's sitting in a larger picture of unconditional love, which allows that negotiation that, that that meeting of the minds, those concessions to take place. Uh, otherwise, we're, this is my position, love it or leave it, you know, we become very cold and, and we get this instead of this. A anything, anything can be worked out between a, a, cu a couple as long as there is a genuine desire to be truly loving and that the purpose of the relationship is not just personal pleasure, but is spiritual freedom. In that case, you've got a relationship that can last a lifetime. And that is the embodiment of unconditional love. Unconditional love is simply a way in which we approach things. It is not this esoteric, angelic kind of kind of thing. It is, it is the way we live life. Does that answer it for you there, neutrality? Hello, Sally. GP, you're speaking the truth that I know I need to hear that is the antidote for the spiritual poisoning that I took part of unwittingly. Y you are the one who speaks to me about God in the way that my being has been waiting for. Thank you, thank you. I cannot say this enough. Oh. <sighs> I'm truly preaching the gospel. <laughs> I truly believe that this was the way Jesus was talking and that he earned the the displeasure of the uh, of the 
of the Jewish elite. Uh, I don't know about the whole Roman thing, the crucifixion. I don't know if that any of that actually even ever happened. Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, this, there, it seems there was something there because a lot of the stories, but it, it really cannot be, be confirmed. But I certainly know that if he was preaching like the gospel like this, he was he was he was not um, he was not very uh, well loved by the uh, by the elite, and they were quite jealous of him because the people loved him. As why wouldn't they? Mary, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> how'd you like that one? Uh, you are you don't learn the teaching; you are the teaching. Yeah, yes. Somebody asked Muji once about Papaji, who was his teacher, and asked and said, uh, "What is your what, what was Papaji's highest teaching?" And Muji, without any arrogance, said, "I am his highest teaching." He went on to just explain it. It's not arrogance. This is the, simply the fact. The truth is not an idea. It is you. The truth is only the truth when it, it when it is Im, embodied, when it takes form. The truth is not something that is thought. It is you. The truth is the truth of being, not the truth of thinking. Takira, I'm the one that asked that question. Oh, great. Great. I hope I answered it. Matt, thanks for for the thanks, GP. You're welcome, Matt. You're welcome. <clears throat> um, Daryl, Mary, I totally resonate with this too. Mesulam saw that most of the world out there is in my mind, but I still believe that my parents are my parents and children are out there and feelings about them are very much alive. Any clue? It, yes, it will seem that way. And therein lies the spiritual practice. This is the sadhana to... To, to not be fooled by the way it seems. We believe that the out is, is in. We believe that the, the out is. The truth is the, what is out there is actually in here. Right? To our senses, in order to have the experience right, at all, there must be a focal point and something from the reference point of that focal point is here or there. Otherwise, nothing would exist. Nothing could be seen or perceived. This is required in order to have any experience at all. We have simply, we have simply mistaken what is the appearance for an actual fact, that they really are out there rather than just appear to be out there. So we're still going to have the experience. My, my example of the... Um, of the mirage in the desert, right? It, the mirage is a projection. The desert's there. And the experience of the desert, the thought, the, the thirst, the, the sweat, the heat, uh, that's all there. But the mirage isn't. That's a projection of the mind, right? So the world is a projection of the mind, right? Your parents are a projection of the mind. The children are a projection of the mind. But they... But they're, they are experienced as, as a real experience from a particular point of view. 
So it's okay. It's never, there's never going to be a time when it doesn't appear as if they are out there from this perspective. But what will happen is that you'll, you'll see that this is simply the way it appears and not actually the truth and transcend this perspective and have that perspective at the same time. So you're no longer believing that they are separate, even though your experiencing of them is as if they were, right? The mirage is gone, the desert's still there. Does that, does that help you, mess along? Is that, a, is that a good clue? <laughs> and, and this is it, we've just, we've become so indoctrinated into physical realism or materialism, that the world exists independently of us, that it's just ingrained in all of us. So the thoughts keep coming back up, right? Even though when you've seen clearly that, that it's not true, right? Don't expect the thought, those thoughts to change. Don't try to get rid of them. The, the ultimate awakening is not when you get rid of all those thoughts. It's when you see that none of them have ever been true and they can be there or not. Who cares? At that point, your heart is liberated from it. You follow that? It's very, it's a very important di distinction. You know, Buddha walked around, right, and saw people, talked to people, had conversations, right, <laughs> and, and, and the like, ate meals, right. He wasn't, he wasn't seeing the picture for him was no different than it is for you, except he knew it wasn't. It was. But the illusion of it was gone. The mirage was gone. So he saw everything as it was, which was myself. And so because these thoughts are persisting in you, don't worry about it. Right? Just recognizing and keep deepening. Every time one comes up, take it as an invitation to deepen your seeing. So you see even more clearly, oh, that's not me. Does that help, Miss Alam? Speed up a little bit here. I've hit my uh, I truly want to talk to and learn from people like me. Not very good. Well, you're you're actually with a whole bunch of people like you right here. This is a very spiritual, a very empathic crowd here. Very dedicated. So, um, welcome to the welcome to the sangha. Please join my private group on, uh, on on Facebook as well. Um, Mary says, I'm happy, dare you see this issue has plagued man time. Awake, not woke. Isn't God just a concept that is neither provable nor falsifiable? Um, well, yes, and truth is a is a concept on one level. Right? We, we, need, we need to go beyond concepts. So I'm using the word I, right? <clears throat> um, I is a concept. Everything is a concept. Satsang is a concept. Self-inquiry is a concept. Everything is a concept, right? Okay, what isn't a concept? Right? There must be something, because concepts don't hold themselves. Right? Something is holding a concept that isn't a concept. Now, I, I, I can call that God, so I can redefine the word God to refer to that which is not a concept, recognizing, completely recognizing that there's a million concepts of God. And as, and as a concept, it, well, can it be provable or falsifiable? It depends on the method of proof and falsi falsification. 
the existence of a completely non-physical being cannot be proven according to the physical realism or the materialistic point of view, philosophy or science. It can't be because for them, the only thing that's real is that which is measurable and perceivable by the senses or the, or the, or the instrumental extensions to the, to, the, to the senses. And so that approach in its strictest, uh, strictest application says, if it does not fit in that category, it does not exist, period. So it falsifies it based on the assumption that <clears throat> the, the universe is, is material in its nature and exists separate from my perception of it, which is unprovable. It is an assumption. And there's, in fact, no evidence for it because the only thing I ever experience is through consciousness. And so I cannot step outside of this consciousness and examine something to see if it exists separate from it. I cannot do that. So the existence of a material universe is not provable. <laughs> so you could say neither is provable or, not, or, uh, or, or falsifiable. What do you do then? Well, at that point, you have, to, you have to say, okay, what isn't a concept? What is it that's even engaging in this, in this back and forth? What is it that would say, I have proof, or it's true, it's false? What is it that can say that? What can determine what's true and what is false, if not what is true and not false? That's the only thing they could. What's that? Something beyond the concept. <clears throat> well, that's something beyond the concept. Isn't that you? Aren't you the one that's going to determine whether it's true or false? You're the truth. You're the God. It, it, God, you are, and you are not a concept. <laughs> Thank you, Awake. Um, God is the safe space, yes. Oh, and I need to hear that I am that safe space. You are. You are that safe space. Right. The belief that you're not is all you have to deal with. And it's not true. Lisa... If anyone would like some training, we ask that you share what it is you're looking for and reach out to us. Lisa Berry, RGP, we can direct you to create what is being requested. Oh, Lisa's done such a great job of getting me organized. <laughs> She's really helped with, with so many, so many ways. I'm very grateful to her. Fred Green, Revelation 2015. Whoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Well, with the cross up there, I, I think, Fred, you're, you're probably an evangelical Christian who believes that there's some actual event that's going to take place where you're, because you didn't receive Christ, you're going to be cast into the lake of fire. If you don't receive Christ, that is the recognition that God is your very being, you're already in the lake of fire. 
It is a it is a metaphor for right now, not an event in the future. If you do not know yourself, if you have not surrendered your egoic mind to the ever presence and allness of God, you're already in the lake of fire. The lake of fire, unrequited desire, dissatisfaction, fear, uh, worry, anxiety, stress. That's what the fire is. It's the burning. Right? It's the burning of the unrequited desire for ourselves that nothing in this world can satisfy. So... <laughs> Look closely at your Bible, Fred. If you're an evangelical, look closely at the Bible. And this is the condemnation that light comes into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That is the egoic mind. The egoic mind is in the way of the realization of the, of the truth. Can I say, Fred? What can I say? You have no idea what you're really doing. You have no idea and the negative effects that you're having. I ask you to repent and open your heart. Uh, in GP, you know how to end this indoctrination. Please keep the antidote coming to us. We need to hear this over and over again. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. Okay, I'm just... Scanning through here. Okay. Um, uh, enjoy that. Both Che and be strong. We just have to marry. You're correct. We have a teaching reminder. So, no. Okay. Thank you again, GP. This is my life story. It's more of a weapon than a liberating truth. Yeah. And dance. Thank you for answering. Highly enlightening. I just want to be enough by myself. And isn't that the point of spirituality? That we're whole regardless of what happens in the human drama. Yes, yes. And I'm blown away by the way you explain things so clear and straight. Is there no way out of this contract? Can we ever get out of this? That's all I'm doing is showing you the way. You have to see through it. It's not something that's holding you. It's a belief. And once a belief is seen as a belief, it falls away. N not automatically. Because sometimes you see it, oh, that is a belief, but it's still active in the nervous system as in functioning. So now it requires a sadhana, some practice, some growth, a growing in strength, so that this conviction becomes bigger than the various kinds of things going into the going on from conditioning and eventually conditioning shifts. Uh, there's Lisa inviting everybody to, uh, to Om School Alive on Tuesdays. Thanks to everyone. Nothing at everything, but first you must realize the nothingness within you. Yes. Congratulations for 10,000 subscribers. Yeah, thank you. That's right. I finally hit 10,000 subscribers. Yeah. We abandoned God, that's all. Yeah. And not by choice. Yes. We, we fell away 
we fell away from grace. We fell through ignorance by believing ourselves to be separate and then believing that that separate self was this horrible, unnatural sinner, um, which is just nonsense. Wow, what a sad song today. You're welcome, Roseanne. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. Oh, my God, the list keeps going. <laughs> Ego's no match for yourself. Nope, it is not. Your answer to the lake of fire is so helpful. I needed to hear this. This is setting me free. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the ultimate goal of life to know who you really are and to accept absolutely everything. Love. That's it. Yay. <laughs> Yay! I know I skipped some questions, but um, I do. I do have to. I could go on all day, <laughs> but I do have to. I have to bring it to a close sometime. So, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you all, my dear friends. This was uh, a provocative satsang subject, as I fully expected it would be. It, didn't, it doesn't surprise me. Um, it, it is an enormous, there's an enormous amount of upheaval going on in, um, uh, in, in people, in, in religion and culture all over the place. It's, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and um, even our friend Fred here, you know, um, I was wondering if somebody who is more of an evangelical was going to, was going to show up and, and put Bible quotes in. Um, because they assume that their interpretation of the Bible is the only one, it's the correct one, and therefore, it said so in the Bible, therefore it is. Not ever even, not need to take the time to, to do the research, to look into what was the real meaning behind it, where did it come from? Is the Bible, if the Bible isn't historically true, does that mean it's, it has no value? Absolutely not. If it isn't historical true, it has more value because now it's in the realm of, of, of a tool by which we can, we can discover who we are. The stories take on so much more meaning and, and value and become eternal. They, they don't become the, the voice of a condemning, harsh, ugly, jealous, vindictive, Bronze Age God they they become a, a, a guide, a mythological guide, all the way up as they were for me, all the way up until I discovered the 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 the, the essential non-dual. At, at which point, the real meaning of them was so completely obvious. I didn't need the myths anymore. All right, oh my. Lovely, 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 lovely friends. Until next time. Namaste. <laughs>